Jesus, thank you so much for this time together. And we invite you, God, to speak to our hearts and to transform our minds and our spirits. Lord, give us eyes that see and ears that hear and a heart that's receptive. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be single-minded, focused upon you. Lord, we put everything we put everything else aside and listen and receive from your word. We thank you, God, for the blessings that we receive. I pray that they would never operate as hindrances to your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, we'll be in the book of Second Kings, chapter five, the second half of Second Kings. And uh, as we look at that text, I'm reminded of James chapter 1, verse 8, about the double-minded man. The Bible tells us that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways and in his life. And as we think about that, I want us to focus in on asking ourselves the question, are we double-minded? Today, as you look at your life, are you double-minded? You know, we live in a culture where uh, everybody loves to multitask and do lots of things at the same time. Uh, Unfortunately, many text while they drive and uh, people try to study while they watch TV. We pray while we're on the Internet. I mean, we uh, think we can multitask and do everything. Often we try to parent while we work. And uh, there are ramifications for that. And studies are now telling us that we're not nearly as good at it as we think that we are. Uh, It was interesting. I was reading an an article in the medical field of people who were multitasking and uh, who were obviously distracted as they were writing their medical reports. These are actual reports from doctors and nurses who submitted this as uh, either their diagnosis or as their updates on their charts. And these were people who were obviously multitasking, who were not focused. Uh, the first one, and let me just say this uh, for those of you who, uh, I know this is church, I'm just reading what's on here, okay? Uh, please feel free to send your emails to David Lasser uh, or other elders, okay? Just reading what's on here, okay? Here are some things that they stated. The patient refused an autopsy. Not sure that that was what the patient did. Patient has left white blood cells at another hospital. This is actually on the chart. It says, patient recovering from forehead cut. Patient became very angry when given an enema by mistake. Patient has chest pain, and if she lies on her left, as she has, excuse me, patient has chest pain if she lies on her left side for over a year. On the second day, the knee was better. On the third day, it disappeared. The patient is tearful and crying, crying constantly. She also appears to be depressed. The patient has been depressed since they began seeing me in 1993. The patient is numb from their toes down. (laughs) While in the ER, the patient was examined, x-rated, and sent home. (laughs) The patient has occasional, constant, and infrequent headaches. How about just all the time? The patient was alert, but unresponsive. Rectal examination revealed a normal-sized thyroid. (laughs) Patient stated that they had been constipated for life until they got a divorce. (laughs) 
I saw your patient today. Thankfully, they're still under the car for physical therapy. Uh, the lab test resulted in an indication of abnormal lover function. And the patient has two teenage children, but no other abnormalities. Maybe, maybe you feel that sometime. We're going to look at the story of Gehazi, who is a double-minded man. And Gehazi, let me get back up for a moment if you weren't here last week. We looked at, at the narrative of uh, Elisha and Naaman. And Elisha, of course, was the primary spokesman for God. He is the principal prophet of God at this time. He is the successor of the great prophet Elijah. Through Elisha, God has spoken multi, uh, uh, many times, a multitude of times. We've seen miracles through Elisha. Matter of fact, in chapter 4, he raised a young boy from the dead through the power of God. And so he is well known, well thought of, well respected. Uh, he is regarded as the man of God. Most often when we see his name mentioned, it is the man of God or that holy man of God. And that's Elisha. Very well respected, uh, very well known. And uh, a lot of the reputation that God has, of Yahweh has, is through the prophet Elisha. Then you have Naaman. Naaman, whom last week we looked at, was the commander of the Syrian army. Uh, he was the general of a Syrian army. He was probably what we would think of even as the prime minister, not the king, but the prime minister of Syria at this time. And Syria at this time, of course, uh, are uh, at best uh, unwanted neighbors. At worst, they are regarded as the enemy. And many would there are many times that uh, they attack Israel. We know that they are even attacking border towns. Even at this time, they have raided towns and taken people and wealth away. And so they are greatly despised. But Naaman hears word that there is a prophet through one of the servants, one of the Israel servants that they have, that uh, that Elisha can heal, that the God Yahweh can heal through the prophet Elisha. And so he hears that report and the king sends him and sends a ransom, uh, just a ton of money, and uh, sends him off. And he comes before Elisha and Elisha won't even come out to see him. He sends his servant Gehazi out and says, tell him to go dip in the Jordan seven times. And that's about 25 miles away. He at first is refusing to do it because it's out of his way. Why would he want to go do that? He's already made the effort. He's brought the money. And now you're telling me to go dip. Are you just asking me to go through, jump through hoops? And so he's going to go away. But the little servant girl says, no, go do it, my master. Go try it. Please go do it. And so he does it. He's healed. <clears throat> and we see a tremendous change of heart. And we see that he comes back. And now he wants to give thanks. He's not trying to buy it, but he wants to give thanks. His heart has changed. And he comes before Elisha and says, I want to give. I want to give a thanks for what has occurred. And we'll see Elisha will turn that down. But Kahazi, who is Elijah's servant, we're going to see, is not single-minded. He's not focused. Uh, he can't say that it's God's glory is the purpose that he lives for. He's a seminary student, so to speak. He's the intern. He's the apprentice. He's studying under Elisha, and he could have possibly been uh, the next prophet. And uh, But we see that there are some problems there that have already been indicated in chapter 4. We see that, at a minimum, they don't respect his sensitivity toward the Spirit, or at least the Shunammite woman doesn't. And we're going to see... Uh, in a greater degree, why that's true. So we see three principal characters that are listed here. And today, we're primarily going to look at Elisha and Gehazi. Gehazi, who is a double-minded man. He's religious. He goes to church. 
He's in seminary. He does the stuff. He's putting on the act. But his heart is not there. Let's look at our story here in 2 Kings chapter 5, beginning with the 15th verse. And the Bible tells us that Naaman and his whole company went back to the man of God, Elisha, and stood before him and declared, I know there's no God in the whole world except Israel. And therefore, please accept a gift from your servant. Naaman has just been healed of his leprosy. And he says, I want to make a proclamation. He is the one and only God. Now, that's a big statement because he would have come from a very polytheistic culture. Almost every culture was polytheistic other than Israel at this time. And there were people even in Israel that, that struggled with polytheism, with worshiping other gods. But Naaman, being the uh, prime minister, being the general and the commanding uh, military officer, uh, he understands, he, you know, in his culture, Really, the deity is an extension of his culture. It's an extension of his government. It was very common for the ruling party to usher in a new God if they overthrew the old one. Okay, sometimes they would just adopt that culture's deity, but sometimes they would bring in another one. And they would say, it's because of this particular God that I am here and he has put me here. And so they would often be thought of synonymously by many of the people. Look, there's his God, and that's, that's representative of that king, of that Pharaoh, uh, of that leader. And uh, so when you give to that God, you're in effect giving to him. That, that religion was a part of the culture. It was a part of the government. And it was the way that it was established, and it was the way that many people thought. And that certainly probably was the mindset of Naaman. But now he's encountered Yahweh God, and he's encountered him, and he's been healed. And now he is offering uh, a, a thanksgiving, and it's interesting, one of the things that we see about him, he, he came in to buy, quote, his salvation and his healing, but now he wants to give. You can see a transformation of his heart. It's one of the first things he wants to do as an act of worship and gratitude is give. But Elisha says, as the Lord lives, I stand before him and I will not accept it. And Naaman urged him to accept it, but he refused. Elisha says, you know, I, I have accepted gifts before, and certainly we receive sacrifices and offerings, but you're not going to be able to do that. You've come from a pagan land, from a land that doesn't know Yahweh God, and we as Israel are supposed to be the principal instruments of how God will spread His glory, and so I'm not going to receive anything from you. I don't want anyone saying that you bought your healing, that you bought your new faith. And so you can't give it. I want you to go back and to give testimony of what has occurred. And Naaman responded, uh, or excuse, Naaman responded to Elijah and says, If not, please let two mule loads of dirt be given to your servant, for your servant will no longer offer a burnt offering or sacrifice to any other god but Yahweh. He says, Look, um, I'm going to take two loads of dirt here, and I want you to know I'm going to build an altar, a dirt altar when I get back. And that's where I'm going to worship Yahweh God. I will not offer sacrifices or give in any way to any other God, even to our national deity, so to speak. And he says, however, in, in the particular matter, may the Lord pardon your servant, for when my master, the king of Aram, goes into the temple of Ramon to worship, and that was their kind of their cultural deity, uh, their national deity, as a right-hand man's bowed in the temple of Ramon, when I bow in the temple of Ramon, may the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. He's saying, look, 
nationalistically, this is part of my job, part of the government job here. He says, uh, as a matter of fact, we can probably understand this. It's somewhat similar uh, to, the land, to the nation of England today. I was talking to a British friend of mine yesterday, and he was explaining to me, he said, uh, here's, the, here's the deal. The queen is the head of the church, uh, and uh, she is, as a matter of fact, given the title, the defender of the faith. He says, but uh, after her would come King Charles, and he's probably not so much uh, as a believer slash devout Christian as uh, the queen would be. And then you go to Charles' son, William, who would be the apparent heir. He doesn't even attend church. He doesn't even go to the church of England. He, he comes on uh, Christmas and Easter and um, for weddings. And he's talked about that that's not really something he necessarily believes, but it's part of his job. And so sometimes he shows up. He shows up at certain occasion. And he's the heir apparent to take the title Defender of Faith. But it's more cultural, okay? It's part of the political structure uh, of the government. And so that's much what it was like here. And he said, look, it's not, I'm not saying that this is my faith, but I will be required to attend. But I want you to know I will not make sacrifices. I do not believe. And I serve one true God, God the God Yahweh. He is the one and true and only God. <clears throat> so Elisha says to him, go in peace. And after Naaman had traveled a short distance from Elisha, Gehazi, the attendant of Elisha, the man of God, thought, my master has let this Aramean Naaman off lightly by not accepting from him what he brought. And we see right here that Gehazi, quite frankly, is prejudiced. He says, my master has let that Aramean. He's not even an Israelite. I can't believe he let him come in here and he healed him and he's not even taken anything from him. I mean, you know, I've been working for him. I've been serving faithfully. I've been going to temple. I've been doing all the things I'm supposed to do. And do you see me getting paid a lot? Do you see me getting very much? No, you don't. And this really burns me. This guy's done nothing. He's just freely given it to him. He's freely healed him and requiring nothing. Of all people, I can't believe he would do that. And the Bible says, and he makes this statement, As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. As the Lord lives. You know what's sad about him is he, he's got all the lingo down. And this is a phrase that you see Elisha using sometimes. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something because I'm entitled to it. I deserve it. Now, it's not for me, it's not mine, but I deserve it. And I should be able to get it. That spirit of entitlement that others have gotten. So why can't I? This is wrong and I, I want it. I deserve it. And I'm even going to apply the God language. As the Lord lives. And so Gehazi pursued Naaman. And when Naaman saw him running after him, it's interesting, the Bible says that he got down from his chair, which is a sign of submission. It's a sign of humility as he gets down. Typically, if a servant particularly would have run up to a general like that, he would have stayed in his chariot. He wouldn't get down to talk to him. That servant would have to come and perhaps bow. He wouldn't even probably have direct access to that general. But, Gehazi, but um, Naaman has had a heart change. He has been healed. His heart is transformed. And he gets down and he goes... What's going on? He literally says, uh, when he gets down, 
He says, is everything all right? Is everything well? And Gazi says, it is well. It is all right. My master, and notice what Gehazi does. He begins to steal from the reputation and from the name of Elisha. He begins to rob God of his glory and Elisha of his integrity and of his character. He begins to borrow and steal from it. He says, my master, meaning Elisha, of course, has sent me to say, I have just now discovered two young men from the seminary who've come to live with us here, from the, from the sons of the prophets, and have come down from the hill country of Ephraim. And they don't have any nice clothes. They don't have a nice suit for worship. And they don't have a nice place to stay. And, and, and you know what? We didn't realize these seminary guys were coming this soon. We weren't quite prepared for them. So my master sent me down here, and he's asked me for 75 pounds of silver, which today would be $350,000 worth of silver. And I'd like two changes of clothes. Now, these aren't just shirts, okay? This isn't just like a pair of pants and shirts. These are the equivalency of Armani suits, okay? When you see the change of clothes here, it's talking about the elite uh, royalty garb, okay? So it was very, very nice, very expensive. Uh, they, they're going to need two Armani suits and $350,000. Seminary students, I mean, it's hard. But Naaman insisted, please, accept 700000 And he urged Gehazi and then packed 150 pounds of silver. And Naaman's probably thinking, I can't, I can't carry that much. I'm going to ask for more, but this is all I can carry. And two bags and two changes of clothes. And Naaman gave them, to, uh, gave them two of his young men to carry him ahead of Gehazi. And when Gehazi came to the hill, he took the gifts from them and stored them. And he dismissed this men and left. He said, look, I got it from here. Good. Thank you for caring. I'll take the 150 pounds of silver. Rest away myself. I've got to go hide it. And Gehazi came and stood by his master. Where did you go, Gehazi? Elijah asked him. It's kind of like the Garden of Eden. Isn't it? God asked Adam and Eve, where are you? Where did you go? Maybe you've done this with your children. I still have young children. And I'll ask them, let go. Where are you? What you been doing? Nothing. 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 I'm so stupid. I think that. Yeah. What? What? Are, come on. What are you? Eight? And I'm like, what is, what's wrong here? Tell me what's going on. Be honest with me. But, you know, Gehazi has gone into eight-year-old mode. Well, I'm not doing anything, Dad. I'm not doing anything, Elisha. Your servant didn't go anywhere, he replied. But Elisha questioned him. Didn't you sense the spirit? Didn't you sense my spirit when the man got down from his chariot to meet you? Didn't that, didn't you feel something? The presence, the conviction, the guilt? When you saw that general step down from his chariot in a spirit of concern and asking, what can I do? What, what's going on? Didn't you sense that this isn't right? I shouldn't be doing this? Didn't you sense it? And you just kind of ignored it? Is it the time to accept money and clothes? Now, Gehazi has seen him accept things before. He did from the Shunammite woman. He's seen him accept, accept things before, but he's also seen Elisha say, no, we're, we're not taking anything for this. And he says to Elisha, and he says to Gehazi, is, is this the time? You know it's not. 
you know that this was forbidden. You know that this is not something we're supposed to be taking anything for. That there's a bigger picture here. There's a bigger principle going on. That this is a nation that doesn't know Yahweh God. And we are to be the instruments. It's one thing when we receive gifts and, and financials need from other believers in Yahweh. But this is not the case and this is not the time. This is not the place and we have refused that. God has ordained that we wouldn't take anything. But you know what you're thinking about? You're thinking about, oh, the olive orchards and the vineyards, the wine that I can have, the meat, the sheep and the oxen and the servants. You know, I've been a servant, but now I can get my own servants with this money. And therefore, name and skin will cling to you and your descendants forever. So Gehazi went out from his presence diseased, white as snow. You see that Gehazi is a double-minded man. On one hand, he knows the religious talk. He's probably been in church all his life. He knows the talk. He knows how to use the conversation. He knows the Torah. He knows the story of the prophets. But on the other hand, he thinks, what about me? What about what I deserve? Can I do both? Can I have the money? Can I have what I want? And you know what, God, I'll try to do whatever you need over here, but I got to take care of myself too. It's not a, you know, it's not right. Everybody else is doing well in my neighborhood. And yeah, God, if I kind of have to take advantage of the situation, if I kind of have to do a little compromise, so be it. I'm still faithful. I'm still better than most. You know, we all sin. We all got our struggles. I ought to be okay. Matter of fact, I deserve it. I'm entitled to it. I've given before. I've served before. I've helped before. I deserve it. You ever have that attitude? I deserve it. God, you owe me. Look what I've done. You're worshiping yourself. You're robbing God of His glory. I want you to look at ten ways that by Gehazi being double-minded, that his greed led to destruction. It robbed God. It was robbery. Number one, he robbed God of His glory. By God issuing this miracle, this healing, robbery, uh, Gehazi robs him of his glory. Where others don't simply see it just as a simple miracle by the grace of God. He robs Elisha of his witness. Elisha is offered money. He says, no, I want you to understand that this is Yahweh God and I'll receive nothing. It's an act of grace. But now it looks like Elisha said, but I'll take a little bit. But when something comes up and he's robbed Elisha of his purity and of his witness, he's robbed Naaman of his new understanding, of his new faith, of his new belief. Naaman first thinks, <clears throat> he must be thinking on his way, I cannot believe I've been healed. I've been transformed. And it's cost me nothing. It has been a free gift. And I was the enemy. I was against them before. Oh, man. I cannot believe. And then all of a sudden, somebody, and then all of a sudden he says, Gehazi running up. Hey, I, I will take some silver. I will take some clothes. We got some people coming in and, you know, the big barbecue and everything. And he goes, God, we don't got nothing to serve them with. And matter of fact, we're going to want to do this a lot more often. Surely, you know, 75 pounds, that's nothing for you. Certainly, 
And now he's thinking, well, it sure was cheap. Didn't cost much. His people and his nation. When he got back, he would have said to the king, unbelievable. They wouldn't take anything. I'm healed. But this God is the true God. He took nothing. Now he'll have to say it. It didn't cost much. It was very little. He only took 75 pounds of silver. He gives a good deal. I bet you anybody that has $350,000 can get healed back there. As opposed to, it didn't matter if you were a peasant, a widow, that God can heal. The kingdom of God and the way other people would view Him. Those who from other nations who would have been there in Syria and Israel, the way that they viewed him. The office of the prophet now has been cheapened. Instead of being one that's pure and holy, they think, well, for small price. I mean, it's a good deal. They don't ask for much. Israel, the nation, instead of them going back and saying, I cannot believe they healed, they... They've given this gift that the Yahweh, Yahweh God has healed me. We see in the next chapter they'll be at war again. I wonder, and I'm totally speculating, if Gehazi had not gone after him, would they have thought, why would we want to attack after what they've done for us? Of the powers there, and I'm sure Naaman would have said, there's no way. I will not stand for it. His health is affected. His family, instead of saying, yeah, that's Gehazi, my dad. That's my son. That's my boy. That's my husband. That's my grandfather. It's Gehazi, the one who robbed. And what about his future legacy? Still talking about their grandfather and their great-grandfather and my parents and how God used them. How Gehazi went on to succeed Elisha. Now, for the last 3,000 years, it's a, kind of a sleazy name, Gehazi. Nobody names her kid Gehazi anymore. <laughs> he robbed God of His glory. He robbed others of the significance of a relationship of knowing the power of God and that His grace is free. It's given to all mankind and you cannot buy it nor manipulate it. It is a gift from God. The wages of sin of death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The truth of it is, a lot of us are like Pete Rose. You know, I grew up, I was a Cincinnati Reds fan. Love the Reds. Big red machine. You know, and when Pete Rose bet on baseball back in 89, said, I didn't do it. He lied for 15 years and then finally uh, had a transformation of heart, so to speak. And looked like, okay, I did it. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done it. And he wrote a book, sold it. Then he started, this was the kick kicker. And again, I was a Reds fan. I love Pete Rose. And now he's selling baseballs for $299. And he'll sign your baseball that says, I'm sorry, I bet on baseball. Forgive me, Pete Rose. And for $299, you can order one of those. Something that's not seem right. That, that's the spirit of Gehazi right there. I'm going to capitalize even upon... My apology. Here's the spirit that it looks like. Most of us are like Wilbur Reese said, we just want about $3 of God. $3 of God. He wrote a little poem that goes like this. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep. 
but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough God to make me love a black man or pick beats with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want warmth of the wound, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God. That's what most of us struggle with. God, I'll, I'll take some. I'll take some God. I'll take some favor. Uh, I'll take a little salvation. That'll be enough, please. But, Lord, as far as you be in control of my life, we can kind of do that together. You can kind of be my co-pilot. You can kind of whisper some things in my ear and tell me some things. And look at your word, and I'll decide whether I want to do it or not. I'll take about $3 worth of you, please. Have you ever come to place that God, I want all of you? The parts that I don't like? The parts that I don't understand? The parts that require everything of me? God, I, I want you all to take control of my life. I don't want to be double-minded. I don't want to be double-minded in the sense that I say, you know what? I'm a patriot. I believe in America. I just don't vote. We go, well, you're not really a patriot, are you? I'm a believer. You pray? No, I don't really pray. I don't really worship. I, I don't have time to serve. I, I, I don't give. I, I do believe, but I, I don't give. I, there are other things that I do. But I believe. Not really. You want $3 worth of God. Enough to make you feel good. Enough to make you feel better. Have you ever come to that place and say, God, just like you gave everything to you, I give you everything. And I don't know what that looks like. I know sometimes it's going to be uncomfortable, and sometimes I'm going to have a battle of spirit of entitlement and thinking, God, why do I have to serve? Why do I have to give? Why do I always have to be the one doing things? God, can I? Why can't I compromise? It really comes down to be this simple. Are you going to be Naaman? Or are you going to be Gehazi? It's a choice that we all make when we decide how much God we want. And the real truth of it is, is we aren't really receiving God at all when we say we want $3 a month. We're simply receiving an idol of our mind, the way that we wish that he would be and the way that He we want him to be. So we either take the God of the Bible or we choose ourselves and we make our own God up in our mind. Which one will you serve today? Let's pray. Father, thank you that while we were still sinners, you died for us. And God, I pray for those today who don't know you, who've never fully embraced you. Maybe they've seen examples of people who just partially have given their life, who accept the pieces of you that are convenient and profitable. I pray that today, Lord, we would see you for who you really are as the God of the universe who makes decisions and, Father, who has enacted things that we can't fully understand or comprehend that sometimes disturb us and bother us, that often make us uncomfortable. But, Lord, we can know this, that you are God and we are not. And we must start there. We confess our need for you, our inability to control the world and even control our lives. And when we do, we are robbing you of your glory. I pray, God, today that we would submit to you and say, God, here's my life. Take it. Here's my treasure. 
Here's things that I value. They're yours. Show me how to use them for your glory. And I recognize I'm a steward today of everything you've given, of everything you've done. Use me. Use my life. Use my family. Use my job. Use my resources. It all belongs to you. And God, I give you thanks and praise, and I will have a heart of gratitude and will seek opportunity to use them for your glory. That is my prayer to you. I accept all of you today, God. In your name I pray. Amen.